Good morning. How's everybody doing? Okay, I'll take the lack of enthusiasm there that a lot of you aren't doing well this morning. Well, that's okay. We're talking about healing this morning, so no better time not to be well, right? Uh, Aaron, I texted Aaron yesterday because the songs that he had picked for this morning were so perfect uh, for what we're talking about today. I'm kind of a musical guy, so I find myself sometimes when I'm prepping for a sermon just breaking out into worship and singing, and I found myself singing How Deep the Father's Love for Us, um, of singing It Was My Sin That Held Him There Until It Was Accomplished, and It Was His Dying Breath That Brought Me Life, and I Know That It Is Finished. I found myself singing that this week, um, and I was like, what, what song is that? I couldn't remember, and so I looked it up, and then I looked on our uh, order of worship again, and I was like, wow, that is two songs before I'm about to preach. This is awesome, how the Lord works like that. Our world is broken. You don't have to turn on the news to see that or to feel it. It's on a global scale, and natural disasters. Every year, so many people are killed by natural disasters. This past March, 900 were killed by a cyclone in Africa. But it's not just natural disasters, is it? It's illnesses, sickness, cancer, measles, AIDS, tuberculosis, pneumonia. Do you know that every day, every day, 2,195 kids die from something as preventable as diarrhea? That's more than measles, AIDS, and malaria combined. That means in the 30 minutes that we've been sitting here today, 45 kids have lost their lives to something as preventable as that. 88% of those deaths can be attributed to unsafe or unclean water, insufficient hygiene, and things like that. But it's not just illness either, it's evil, right? Do you know there are more people in slavery today than there ever have been in human history? 21 to 45 million people trapped in slavery today in 2020. Imagine there's about 250 people in this room. Put 84,000 groups this size. That makes 21 million people trapped today in human slavery. 168,000 if we're up to 42 million. But it's not just illness and natural disaster, right? I mean, it's violence, genocides. And it doesn't just hit us on a global level, right? It hits us on a local level. The Tennessean recently posted an article saying that Nashville is experiencing a mental health crisis, that we're experiencing mental health problems at a higher rate than other places in the nation. In 2017, it was said that in the U.S., almost 20% of people had a diagnosable mental illness. That's one in five. Once again, the size of this room, that's more than the entire choir. And I'm one of those stats. I've struggled with depression and anxiety for most of my life. Didn't always have words to put it. And that's why brokenness is not just global or local. It hits us on a personal level too, doesn't it? Maybe it's a broken marriage. Maybe it's a broken home. Maybe your dad left when you were a kid and you're in your 60s and you still feel the pain of it. Maybe your dad didn't leave, but it would have been better if he did. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you've been praying and asking God for a spouse and for whatever reason he hasn't given you that. Maybe you're depressed, maybe you're tired, maybe you're worn out. Well, my prayer for you today is that you encounter the one who has the power to heal because he is here in this place with us today. He's not some God that's far off. He is here with us now and I pray that you feel it. 
Hear the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy, and my yoke is light. You will find rest for your souls. I pray you find hope and healing today. And what I hope to show you through our time together is that we have an ultimate problem, an eternal problem, that requires an ultimate, eternal solution. And that Jesus is the only one who can provide ultimate healing because he is the only one who can address our ultimate problem. And as such, our call as Woodmont to bring hope and healing to our neighbors in the world is more about bringing people to the healer than bringing temporary solutions to an eternal problem. And if you're a note-taking type, I'm gonna go through this looking at four questions. The first is, who needs healing? The second is, what do we need healing from? The third is, how do we get healing? And then lastly, how do we bring healing? So if you're able, I wanna invite you to join me in standing in the honor of reading God's word from Luke chapter five in the story about Jesus. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, or some translations say friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. If you'll be, say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Let me take a seat. Pray with me. God. I pray that you open up our hearts to receive what you have in store for us. Open up our ears to hear you, and Lord, more than anything, may we encounter your presence today, because when we are in your presence, things happen and things change. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing to you. Speak through me, use me, and may anything not of you fall away. In Jesus' name, amen. I think sometimes in church we gloss over stories like this. This might be a story that those of you that grew up in church have heard a lot about. You know, you know that four friends being a paralyzed friend of Jesus and the Pharisees get mad because Jesus says he forgives him, right? But put yourself in the story for a second. Imagine that you are in this crowded room coming to hear this teacher you've heard a lot about who has done these miracles, healed people, cast out demons. And then while you're sitting there, you hear some rustling on the roof and you're sure it's not Christmas time, so it's not Santa. It's gotta be something else, right? And you start feeling dust falling on your head. Then all of a sudden, you see a little bit of a light beam peek through, and you start seeing some shapes shuffling above you. What is that? 
and then something starts to come from the ceiling. What is that? A bird? A plane? No, it's a paralyzed man on a bed being dropped down in the middle. And maybe you even have to scoot out of the way so that he can be laid before Jesus. And this guy's paralyzed. I mean, who knows what his facial expression is like, like looking around at all the people and wondering what they're thinking about him. But Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven you. What? Okay, thanks. (laughs) Why does he say that? Because there's something healing about forgiveness in this passage, which leads us to our first question of the day. Who needs healing? Some of you know I grew up in a very medical family. My dad is an ER doctor and my mom was a medical physicist until I graciously interrupted that career choice for her by being born and gave her a better opportunity, I guess. Something like that. But I always heard a lot of crazy stories. My dad works in the ER, like I said, and so I'm not gonna scare you with any of those stories in case you're squeamish, Uh, but he's seen it all, uh, having been in there, crazy stuff. And I've gotten the privilege to serve on the medical mission field with my parents a multitude of times, which is funny because I have no skills in that department, whatever, except like counting vitamins or something, you know, and praying, which is most important. But my dad always says that treating people's physical illness is just like putting a Band-Aid on a bigger problem. He hopes that he can have a deeper conversation. Because my dad can do a lot of things. I mean, ER doctor, you kind of have to be a jack of all trades. He's sewn up more wounds than I can count, diagnosed diseases, prescribed medications, literally saved people's lives. Um, If you ever see my dad, ask him about how many times he's like shocked somebody back to life. I mean, there are so many people walking around today because of my dad who've had their lives extended by years, even decades. But there's one thing my dad can't do. He can't stop death. He can prevent it. He can prevent it for years, decades even. But he can't stop it. Because we all have this disease that is leading us inevitably toward death. Did you know that every day you have about 50 billion cells within you that die? That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Benjamin Franklin, in a letter to John Baptiste Leroy in 1789, said that nothing can be certain in this world except death and taxes. But we're not talking about taxes today. So who needs healing in this story? Arguably, everyone but Jesus. So which leads us to our second question, what do we need healing from? I don't know what you bring here in this room. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's a bum leg or a bum back. Maybe you've been saying the long goodbye to a loved one for years. And you're wondering, where is God? I've been praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, why doesn't he stop this? I know he can. In this story we see people who need a variety of healings. The paralyzed man needs his body healed, but not just that, he needs forgiveness, right? The Pharisees and Sadducees, they need healing of their perception about God. And I imagine the friends of this paralyzed man want healing for their friend. They're worried about him. And I imagine whoever owned this house needs healing for their roof that now has a massive hole in it. We all come to the table with different things we need healing for. And I wanna be really careful here because I don't want to trivialize anyone's pain because I felt like my pain has been trivialized in the past. But I wanna show you that the cause of all of your pain, all of your suffering, is deeper than a small thing. It is a massive thing, and it is a sin problem. Romans 6, 23 says it like this. For the wages 
of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if everyone is facing inevitable death, does that mean everyone is sinned and is affected by sin? Hopefully you know the answer is yes. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this is exactly what God promised would happen to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter two. He said, if you do this one thing, literally one thing that I'm telling you not to do, you will surely die. But that doesn't just affect the individual. We see in Genesis chapter three, the consequence of their sin means that sin not just entered into their personal lives, but it entered into the world. And so did natural disasters and evil and death. And I think we have some misconceptions about sin. Some of you know I teach a class at Hillsborough High School, and uh, it was amazing. A few months ago, the guys started talking about heaven and hell and God and sin. And they were talking about sin and saying, oh yeah, like cussing's a sin, you know. Lying is a sin, murdering's a sin. And in a sense, yes, obviously all those things are sins, but I think we miss the picture. Sin is much bigger than that because at its fundamental root, sin is a relationship break between God and not just humankind, but God and the world. So we see sin on both an individual scale, which is really a heart issue, that our hearts are fundamentally oriented towards something other than God, that we look for approval in other places, that we look for acceptance or love in other things. And there's also sin on a cosmic scale. Our world is broken. There's natural disasters. There's evil in the world. Things that don't make sense. And here's why I said earlier, I wanted to be really careful about how I articulate this. Because some of you in this room have heard a false story that the reason that you experience pain or suffering long-term is because you don't have enough faith. I've heard that. I know in the midst of my depression, I always heard, read your Bible more, pray more, trust God more, be thankful. And there's a sense in which all those things are true, but when people would say that, I was like, man, I read my Bible way more than you do. <laughs> I'm praying all the time. I mean, I'm trusting God every moment. Like, I can't make it through a minute without him. And every time I feel bad, I'm telling him three new things I'm thankful for. But I still feel this way. Some of you in this room need to hear that the, your pain is the result of capital S sin. We're actually promised in Scripture that we will suffer if we follow Jesus. And it's really funny to me because one of the biggest objections that people have to Christianity is why would a good God allow suffering? And obviously that's a bigger question than I can answer in this short message. But it's funny because in the early church, the church's perspective on suffering was actually something that drew people into the church. And in the lost and broken world, it is time that we reclaim that. It is time that the church is a refuge for people that are hurting that we can suffer together and walk towards Jesus. We need to stop buying this false narrative that you will have enough faith when you feel better and have faith while you hurt. That's when we grow. This leads us to our third question. How do we get healing? We're gonna read from Isaiah 53, talking about Jesus. Starting in verse three. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, 
smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes or with his wounds, we are healed. Yet all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And then down onto the second part of verse 12. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Do you hear that? It is by his wounds, his wounds that we are healed. And the word that's used there is often associated with a trickling of blood. By his bloody wounds, we are healed, not just by his life, not just by his resurrection, yes, those things, but by his sufferings that our Savior entered into the world, took the weight of the world, the weight of sin upon his shoulders. That's what we just sang when we sang how deep the Father's love for us, and yet we gloss over it like it's nothing. And here's what I want to submit to you today, that a Christianity devoid of the cross is not Christianity at all. The cross means suffering and pain. Look behind me. You see that? It's become a symbol of life and hope. We get it tattooed on our arms or wear it as jewelry to show people that we're Christians. Yet, when we encounter hardship, we wonder why. I've heard people compare it to the electric chair to show that it's capital punishment, but I really don't think that does enough justice because the cross was an incredibly cruel and vile form of punishment. And a Roman orator in the first century, Cicero, said that it was so repulsive that it should be far removed from any Roman citizen's body, but not just their bodies, but their mind, their eyes, and their ears. And yet we sit here today looking at it, thinking about it, hearing about it, and saying, we're going to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Watch me. It was excruciatingly painful. Some of you know this, but based on the way that the nails were put in someone's arms and feet, Jesus would have had to lift up his body in order to breathe, ripping the skin. But it wasn't just painful, was it? It was humiliating. I know when we show pictures of the crucifixion, it normally shows a loincloth. And we don't know because scripture doesn't tell us, but most crucifixions, they didn't leave a loincloth. They stripped him and put him up on a cross, mocked him, rejected him. They put our Savior up on there. He was rejected by his friends, mocked, teased. So when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, this is what he means. He means check your ego at the door. Check your pride. Pick up humiliation. Pick up rejection. Pick up sufferings. Because the one who loses their life for my sake will find it. There's something so counterintuitive about the kingdom. What I want to submit to you today is what if healing actually comes through suffering? And this is so powerful. 
in John 3, 16 through 17, some verses that you probably know. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That word might be saved comes from a Greek word, sozo, which also can mean might be healed, so that the world might be healed through him. And we see this word in a lot of places in the Gospels. We see it in Matthew 9 where a woman who was sick, bleeding for 12 years and going to physicians and couldn't find it, that she wanted to touch Jesus' garment just so that she could be made well, healed, saved. And in Mark 6, once again, that people knew if they just touched his robes that they would be healed. In Luke 8, that a demon-possessed man was delivered, made well, healed, saved. And then when Jesus was on the cross, what people were calling out to him to say, save yourself, heal yourself. We've seen you heal people, cause their suffering to stop. If you're really that powerful, why don't you do it yourself? How many of us have cried out to God like that? God, if you're really there, if you're really that big, why don't you make my suffering go away? Why don't you make this stop? I've done it so many times. But I want to tell you, the amazing thing about our God is he gets that. He took the weight of sin and the pain and the suffering upon his shoulders. He felt it so much, in fact, that when he was on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So if you feel forsaken and forgotten about by God today, wondering why he hasn't done something to stop your pain, I want to tell you, he did something. He took it all upon his shoulders for you and for me. So why does a good God allow suffering? Why won't he do something? He did, and he is. But the death on the cross isn't the end of the story, right? As Nathan preached last week, we have a confident, steady hope that one day death itself will die and everything opposing God will be thrown into the pit of hell and we will live forever with God in the new heavens and new earth. And so today, if you are here and you are a believer in Jesus who is following after Jesus, if you are asking God for healing, the answer to your prayer is always yes. It's always yes. It's just a matter of when. You may not receive it in this life, but one day Jesus will return in glory and there will be no more cancer. There will no, be no more bum backs. There will be no more depression or anxiety or fear. We will live forever with God in perfection. You don't even know what it means to walk until you've been walking there. If you feel lonely, if you've been wanting a spouse, you don't even know. You will be the bride of Christ. We have never experienced a love like that. That's what we hope for. That's why Paul talks about not considering the present sufferings worth comparing to the joy or the glory that is to come and calls them light momentary afflictions because we don't need a Band-Aid. We need a resurrection. And we have a hope that that is coming and we can trust our God to do that. You see, every worldview, every person has to deal with the question of why is there pain, why is there suffering? Is it just a random? Does it just happen? 
Why do good people die and get cancer, and why do bad people prosper? Christianity gives both a reason for the suffering and a promised end to it. When I got hired here at Woodmont, some of you know a, knew a man named Mike Bennett, uh, Jan Bennett's late husband. We got hired at the same time. And right when he got hired, he got diagnosed uh, with a brain tumor. And Mike, being a man of incredible faith, wanted to have a service where we anointed him with oil and prayed over him for healing. And I'll never forget this, because someone after came up to him and said, Mike, I really hope this worked. And Mike looked at him and said, with all confidence, it did. I've already been healed. And Mike passed away a few weeks later. And those words will always stick with me. Because Mike's ultimate hope was not in doctors. They hoped that the doctors would be able to fix it. But he knew that ultimately his hope was confident, and it was in Jesus. And that one day, the cancer and the tumors, all those things would stop, and he would live forever with God. So, child of God, maybe today, you need to hear that God has not forgotten you. He has not left you alone. And even though resurrection is coming, I love that our God doesn't just leave it there. I love the story of Lazarus, where one of Jesus' friends, Lazarus, dies. And Jesus' response when he gets there, Mary comes before him, lays at his feet, and says, God, if you, Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't die. He wouldn't be dead. His first response is to weep. He weeps knowing, not only that resurrection was coming, but knowing that he was the one who was going to cause Lazarus to rise. So maybe today you need to hear in the midst of your prayer, God, if you'd been here, I wouldn't feel depressed. If you were here, my loved one wouldn't have died. Maybe you need to hear him, see him, feel him weeping with you in the meantime, even though resurrection is coming. Which leads us to our last question. How do we, as Woodmont, how do we bring healing? First, I want to submit to you, <laughs> feel with people, be vulnerable. We don't need to be a church filled with just stories of my leg was broken and we prayed over it and it was healed. We need those stories. We don't just need I once was depressed or I once was sad or I once was lonely and then I trusted Jesus and it went away. We need your story of I am hurting and broken now, but my God is good and he is holding me together and I will boast all the more in my weaknesses because Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. We need those stories. So if you're broken, no. God wants to showcase his strength through you. That's what scripture tells us. He wants to use you as a testament of his goodness and his amazing power. That's what God wants to do. I love, uh, Nathan talked about grief share. Um, I love that we call it grief share. It's not called grief killer. And I think that's really important. Because the goal of grief share is not that your grief will stop. It's that in the process, how do we see a God who enters into our suffering and pain? Because he's not forgotten about us. And I love Celebrate Recovery, too. It's a ministry. Whatever hurts, habits, or hang-ups you got, people are going to walk alongside you in the midst of it. Because as Eddie Chisholm always reminds us, we are all in recovery of something. We all need help. 
It's only those that are brave enough to admit that fact. So we celebrate the process because God's in it. Secondly, carry people. I don't know who you find yourself resonating with in this story, if it's the Pharisees, if it's the paralyzed man, but we're all called to help carry people to Jesus. What does that mean? It means trust Jesus. Believe he actually has the power to heal. Believe that the ultimate problem that any of us have is a sin problem, which requires an ultimate solution, which is Jesus, the ultimate healer. Trust him. Are you willing, are you willing to risk rejection, risk embarrassment for the sake of carrying your friends to know Jesus? I think so many times we treat the gospel like it's this bad news, but we call it good news. We're afraid to tell people because they might think weird of us. Come on. Seriously, have you thought about it? Jesus died for us. He took upon all rejection, the entire pain and suffering of the world. We have amazing news. Tell people, carry people to Jesus. Also, give glimpses of healing. I love that Woodmont cares a lot about missions, that we send medical missions. When people get physically healed, when they get emotionally healed, it is a foretaste, a glimpse of God's resurrection that's coming. So give glimpses. If you're a doctor, heal people. If you're a counselor, heal people. Meet people in the midst of that pain. And lastly, as Nathan preached last week, proclaim the hope that God simultaneously meets us where we are and offers a way out of the pain. It's not some get out of hell free card. It's a pick up your cross and follow me because in losing your life, you'll find it. And I want to end with the words of Jesus once again. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen, he's not forgotten about you. He knows you. He knows what's going on in you, even if you don't. He knows what you're bringing, and he'll hold you. He wants to use your weakness to showcase his power and use it to bring hope and healing to our neighbors in the world. Pray with me. Lord God, I can't fathom how good you've been to us. That somehow, though we deserved pain and suffering, you took it upon yourself. Lord, help us to find hope in the midst of it. And Lord, as we join you in your sufferings, I pray that you help us to grow to be more like you. You've been so good. For those in this room that are broken and in need of healing, I pray that you show them you're with them. In Jesus' name, amen. What a wonderful word. We have a special mission. We know that God has commanded us with the great commandments to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. Will we at Woodmont be faithful to those commandments? And then we have a vision for Woodmont going forward. Trey has articulated that we have uh, a, an incredible message of hope and healing to bring to a world that desperately needs to hear it. It's an outward focus. Will we be obedient to make disciples by going out and bringing a message of hope and healing? That's our vision of where we want to see Woodmont. Thank you, Trey, for being vulnerable. Thank you for modeling for us what that looks like. Will we follow the advice we just heard from Scripture? 
When I think about the four friends carrying their, their friend up to the roof to lower him down to see Jesus through the crowd, I'm always reminded of, of Dr. Hash, John Hash, who's here today, who's well into his 80s, never been baptized, and we had to get him up to the baptistry here, and we are not ADA accessible here in our baptistry. There are some complicated stairs to navigate, and four of our men grabbed each corner of his wheelchair and carried him up each step one at a time until he got up to the baptistry where he was baptized next to my son, Jude Parker. It was an amazing picture of bringing someone to hope and healing. Will we do that for our neighbors? Will we care enough for our coworkers to give a word of hope and healing? Because we do have a unique word. I've been talking with Brad. I'm excited about our prayer ministry. We're going to talk about sozo healing in prayer and being able to pray for people who are broken and who are sick and who are in need. We're going to be doing some new things with the prayer ministry team here uh, in the next coming weeks. But I'm excited about us as a church actually embracing the healing that comes only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Trey, for that word. Uh, we're going to ask now for a response. If you are hurting today, like Trey said, and you just need healing, we invite you to come pray with someone. I'm going to ask Trey and, and Brad and Jan, if they'll come here to the front. If you want to pray with one of them or me, we'll be here to receive you. If you want to become a member of Woodmont and say, I'm, I'm in, I want to be a part of this mission and vision of Woodmont, then we invite you to come and talk about church membership. Maybe you've never been baptized and you know that you need to be baptized by immersion following Jesus' example. If you're ready to make that decision, we invite you to come forward today. Whatever it is that you need to do, don't leave this place today without finding the hope and the healing that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's stand and sing our hymn of response.